A man heard a commotion in his backyard. He went out to investigate where he saw his daughter with her friends, and they were arguing angrily with each other. And he said to them, girls, what's the matter? And his daughter responded, oh, there's no problem, Daddy. We're just playing church. In our second reading, Paul is addressing rivalries that have developed amongst the Christians in Corinth. They've identified themselves with different leaders, some saying, I belong to Paul, I belong to Cephas, I belong to Apollos. And we have seen throughout Christian history uh, a struggle with divisions, a lack of unity. We see it, of course, big divisions between Protestants, Orthodox, and Catholic Christians. But even within various denominations, even within our Catholic Church, divisions over theological interpretations, over liturgical styles, and even at a parish level, even within one parish prayer group, there can be divisions over, over things that often are times a matter of just kind of personal interaction. So how are unhealthy divisions within the body of Christ to be overcome? St. Paul says that we are to have the same mind and the same purpose, which is to say the mind and purpose of Jesus Christ. To understand better his mind and purpose, it helps us to go back again and again to the beginnings of his public ministry. And this is what the church does near the beginning of the liturgical year after the Christmas season. So we have this year from Matthew, this description of the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, that Jesus is going about to various villages announcing the kingdom of God was at hand. And to show the power and love that the kingdom of God is, he was curing diseases and illnesses among the people. Now Matthew pays special attention to where Jesus is doing this. We have within our parish a few real estate agents, and there used to be a saying in real estate that the three most important things in real estate are location, location, location. So where is the location? It is in Galilee of the Gentiles, in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. Now what is that? So this is in what were the northern bounds of what was once a united kingdom of Israel. During the time of Solomon's son, King Rehoboam, who was a very bad king, a division occurred. Ten tribes broke away from Judah. Only Benjamin stayed with Judah. So Judah and Benjamin in the south. Judah included, of course, the capital city of Jerusalem. Judah was the tribe of the kings, where the temple was in Jerusalem. And then ten of the tribes, remember these go back to the sons of Jacob, Ten of them broke away, and then there's these two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, it is the northern kingdoms that were first destroyed. They were destroyed by the Assyrian Empire in the 8th century, okay? and they were devastated. The Assyrians were amongst the cruelest people in all of history, and they um, took many of their leading people there. They took them and spread them out in different parts of their own empire, and so you have this dispersion, this scattering of the, of the sons of Jacob, of, of the Israelites. Some remained, and then the Assyrians would mix, would, would, would bring into, into this northern area, they would bring uh, pagans of, of different backgrounds. And so there was this mixed group of people, Gentiles and Israelites, that were in this northern part. Now, why is it significant that Jesus is beginning his ministry there? So Matthew goes to Isaiah, and he talks about how this was a land of darkness. Right? This is where the scattering and destruction of Israel began. And so Jesus is going to ground zero to undo it. Right? He is uh, 
uh, it is the people who are in darkness, the land of gloom, a light shines. Uh, the yoke of oppression is smashed. So they live constantly under the oppression of foreign rulers and more profoundly under the oppression of sin, having rebelled against God. And so Jesus has come to undo all that. Right? This is the good news. And at the time, uh, Galilee was looked down on by, by the Jews in the south. Galilee was not economically, socially, religiously important. And so in a sense, because of, of that, the people there understood that they needed God's salvation. And so they were, I think, a more receptive audience to Jesus, to his message and to his work. Contrast that with the ruling elites of Jerusalem. We see, we see uh, later Jesus in Jerusalem is having a conversation with the, with the elite. He's telling them that he has come to set them free. And they say to him, we've never been slaves. <laughs> Which is not true, of course. Um, so, I'd like us to uh, take a moment now and, and see do we have the same mind and purpose of Christ here in Our Lady of Mount Carmel Parish. One, one of the things we've done many years ago, we developed a, a mission statement, which is our own formulation of this mind and purpose of Christ. And we summarized that in, a, in our uh, little motto, love, pray, serve, proclaim Christ. And I believe that this parish is actually doing very well in love. And first of all, the love you show for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, the love that you show to others in need through various ministries, uh, like helping the mental, those struggling with mental illness, uh, feeding the poor, so many ministries uh, that reflect love. And just even in little, your personal interactions, I see tremendous forgiveness and patience and kindness amongst our parishioners. And, uh, and, and service. So, and then also prayer. Uh, I think we're doing very well in prayer in terms of our communal prayer and the sacraments, our times of adoration, many prayer groups. Many of you, I know, pray the rosary every day. Many of you have personal lives of prayer and you pray with your families. So for those first three, I'm going to give us a B plus, Just because I don't want to give us an A because then we're not going to strive anymore. So let's, we can still improve. Love, pray, serve, proclaim Christ. Now what about that last one? The last one was reference to evangelization is a reference to sharing our faith with others, those who do not yet know Christ or have been lost from God's household. Now, I did have a wonderful experience over the last few weeks, two meetings with a man. He's a research scientist. He lives all the way down in UTC, but he wanted to meet with me, not because I'm special, but because one of his co-workers converted to the Catholic faith here at this parish. He was unbaptized. He was baptized here, and he jumped in with both feet. And he began to talk about Jesus at work. And that's how this guy is talking to me. Now, this guy actually had been raised Catholic, but had been away from the church for a while. But because of the influence and the prayers of one of our brothers, who was proclaiming Christ at his workplace, this man is coming back into the church. Now, we're working through some marriage issues, which are going to get resolved very soon. And when I told him that, he was so excited. He wants to receive Jesus in the Eucharist so much. I wish... I had that same uh, longing that he does, because he, he really, I mean, he was, he was crying, telling me about this. It's so beautiful. But I should be having meetings like that every week. And you guys are the ones who provide the referrals. <laughs> You're the ones who are out there where people live, where people, do, many of them do not yet know Christ. And so I want this to be our emphasis this year. I want you to make a New Year's resolution to bring one person 
to Jesus Christ and his church. Maybe it'll be a lapsed Catholic. Maybe it'll be someone else who isn't really close to Christ right now. Um, now, who is that going to be? And how are you going to do it? I encourage you first to make this a topic of your daily, conver- your daily conversation with God. God, who, who, who do I should be talking about with you today? Who should I be, um, or even first, who should I be praying for to come to you this day? If you do that every day, people are going to pop into your minds. It could be your hairdresser. It could be people that you work out with at the gym and see at the gym. I invited two people at 24-Hour Fitness to come to our church this last week. So I said I, I, I need to practice this when I'm out, too, if I'm going to ask you to do it. Um, could be, it could be a family member who's fallen away. It's always difficult sometimes, though, to, to evangelize our family members. Um, but that could be who God's calling you to evangelize. But God will, will I think, put people on your minds and hearts. Right? Um, now, I know that... Um, you know, how, the how God will help you, I think a big part of it is, is simply being able to articulate the difference that Jesus has, has made and is making in your life. And I know he's making a difference in all of your life. Sometimes it may be difficult for us to be able to articulate that, but you should be reflecting on that. You should be able to say, right? So part of, part of it is just simply your own witness. You don't necessarily have, you don't have to master every apologetics argument Everything in the catechism, this is where I can help you with resources or I can meet with people who have real tough questions you don't feel that you can answer. Um, but the biggest thing, I think, is just to overcome, overcome, I don't know, what it is, I don't know exactly if it's, if it's fear or what it is, but we have this reluctance to share about Jesus with others. So maybe it is a fear of that they might be offended, that it might lead to an awkward conversation, I think we have unfortunately imbibed something which is dominant in our culture, which is the idea that faith is merely a matter of personal preference. You know, like almost like choosing a hobby or something like that. Uh, and that, you know, we think of it, well, this faith works for me, but maybe a different faith works for you. You know, I, I can see in my life that, yes, Jesus has helped me to, and through difficult times, I've been a better person because of my faith than they would be otherwise. It's an identity I grew up with. But other people I know who are not Catholic Christians, you know, maybe they don't need that. Or someone who doesn't know Jesus at all, maybe they don't need that. But the truth is, everybody needs Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. People are hurting more than they let on. We can measure this in many ways. Social scientists are measuring this. Over the last several decades has been a significant increase in addictions, in deaths of despair, in emotional and mental illness. We have seen significant decrease in marriage rates and birth rates in our country. We have seen, very recently, a spike in crime rates. Now, there's a lot of factors involved in these, but I believe deep down bottom, it is a spiritual and moral crisis. Back in 2016, the Los Angeles Times published some research that had been done over a period of 14 years. Researchers followed 90,000 women, I think most of them were nurses, and they would report in on different things. And over the course of 14 years of those 90,000 women, 36 of them died by suicide. So they wanted to see if there's any correlations they could see. And 
something interesting they found was a religious connection. So of those 90,000, about 7,000 identified as Catholics who attended Mass more than once a week. Now my guess is they included quite a bit of Filipina nurses, right? Um, and they had zero suicides. This is in line with a lot of research that connects religious practice, regular religious practice, and people for whom, for whom religion is, is very important, in particular Catholic Christianity, is connected with all kinds of overall better outcomes in terms of happiness and of health. Someone shared with me recently a paper, is researchers, uh, one from Wellesley, one from Notre Dame, and one from Ohio State, which showed a strong correlation in regions between a decline in religious attendance and deaths of despair. So overall, it has affected certain regions of our country, certain states. You know, we think of ourselves and are proud of ourselves for our great economic production and technological advancement. But are we really a healthy and confident society? So to me, a confident society a healthy society would not have only 1.64 children per, per woman. That is a below replacement level fertility rate. Now I'm not judging anyone for their particular family size because there's a lot of reasons that people have a different number of kids. Sometimes they struggle with fertility. But overall, when a society is not even replacing itself, that is not a sign of confidence. It is a sign of selfishness, of fear, and of hopelessness. So we live among the people in darkness who are suffering under heavy burdens. Jesus wants to enter their lives through us. He wants to enter their lives through us to shine his light and to break their yokes. He says to you and he says to me, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men.